All right, so before we jump in, uh, there's some exciting news going around the church that we are changing the name. We are changing the name of the church. This is a big deal. So uh, some of you may have heard about this, but uh, as it stands right now, we are three campuses all with different names. And it's kind of confusing that we are Glasgow Church, that we are Fairhill Church, we are Redemption Church. But we are truly campuses, that we are united together, we are one body. And to manifest that, to make that clear to the outside world and clear to ourselves even, we are taking over a, a larger umbrella name, which is called Reach Church. That we will be Reach Church at Fairhill. We will Reach Church at Glasgow. Reach Church at Redemption. Now, yay! All right. Why are we excited about this? Why are we excited about this? We're excited about this because it, it clarifies, you know, that we're, we're one church together. And I think for, for the longest time, it was Glasgow Church, and there was a Glasgow campus, and it felt like, well, the real church is at Glasgow. And that's not what we want to communicate. We want to communicate that we are all the same church, that we are different campuses, and we have different flavors, and we're, but we all have that same vision. And that vision is nothing but Jesus. That we want to communicate that vision, that it is in Christ alone that we are saved, and that we're united with our brothers and sisters in those other campuses that we are trying to to pursue the mission of, of spreading nothing but Jesus uh, in this region. And so, the name Reach then expresses not just a location that, oh yeah, yeah, we're a church over in Fairhill, we're a church over at Glasgow, but no, we're a church that is looking to reach people. That we have been reached with the gospel of Christ and that we are now reaching out to our communities, to our neighbors, to our families with that message. That we're bringing nothing but Jesus as a church uh, to the world. So that's exciting. And uh, it's going to take some time to roll out and some time for us to actually grow into. I think right now that hasn't been our philosophy. I think we, all, we know that that is the mission of the church. But we have to grow into a church that, that is kind of outward focused in seeking to reach out and, and bring the message of the gospel to the world. Now with that in mind, we are going to take one last look at Jonah. One last look at Jonah. Now some of you are like, well, we've already looked at every single verse in Jonah. We literally have looked at every verse. But uh, today we're, we're taking a slightly different perspective. So throughout the series on Jonah, we've taken, had a kind of a certain lens. And that lens was saying that kind of Jonah is parallel to Jesus Christ, and we are parallel to the Ninevites. Essentially saying that, that who is this great prophet who goes out and preaches? It's Christ. Christ is the better Jonah. And we are the mere recipients of that word as the Ninevites, and we are called to repent when we hear the great word of our prophet, like Jonah, Jesus Christ. Now, I think that's kind of the most fundamental way of interpreting Jonah and probably a challenging way to do it. But that's not the only way or the only perspective we can have on Jonah. That Jonah is a Christ figure, but Jonah is also a fellow believer with you and me. He is a fellow believer. And so there's another perspective and another reading of Jonah that is 
equally legitimate. It's a, a different take on it. And so today we're talking about Jonah as example, as a negative example of a believer who abandons the mission of God, who abandons the mission of God. Now, as we recall, uh, Pastor Steve talked last week about how Jonah was continuing this mission of God, that Israel throughout all of history was supposed to bring the message of the grace of God to every nation. That this wasn't just like, oh, Jonah was surprised when he got this call. No, this was the call of his people. And we as the church are the new Israel. And in that great commission, we are told to basically have that same mission, to bring the grace of Jesus Christ to the whole world. And so today we're talking about how we might learn from Jonah, how not to make his same mistakes, and instead follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ to live according to his example, what he has done as he has been on mission for us. And I hope that this is helpful because I think if there's one difficult part, that probably the most difficult part of our Christian lives is the call to, to reach out, the call to evangelize. Our culture is, is dead set against that, that there are, it's acceptable to, to be a Christian to believe these Christian things, but you better keep it to yourself. I had, I had an atheist roommate in college, and he was okay with me being Christian, but don't be one of those Christians who goes and tells other people about it. That's the worst you can do. So we need to have some, some mental changes here. We need to realign with, with God's thought on outreach and hopefully get ourselves psyched up to do it. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to read Jonah. Well, we're going to we're not going to actually read that much from Jonah. We have read Jonah. We have read every single verse of Jonah. Um, so we're looking at Jonah kind of from an overview that we might uh, look at the whole story and understand how not to follow him and to follow Christ. So three points here. First, we're going to talk about the cost of outreach. The cost of outreach. Then we're going to talk about the great cost of failing to do outreach. There's a cost either way. There's a cost if we do it, and there's a cost if we don't. And we recognize it both ways. And then finally, I want to talk about the great reward of outreach. That there are great benefits that come along with it. All right? So you can turn to Jonah. Uh, I won't read really any of it. I feel kind of silly. I, this is not my normal thing. Um, we're going to, you know the story. And I hope that you, when you read the story, you see Christ as Jonah. But this is a, a further reading of it that we might understand how we can reach out. Okay? All right, so let's jump into this. First off, the cost of outreach. The cost of outreach. So what was Jonah's cost of outreach? How did he view this? Now, when Jonah thought about the cost of reaching the Ninevites, he thought of it in a collective sense, a collective kind of corporate sense. He saw that reaching the Ninevites would cost his people, and his nation. It would cost Israel. Because if we know our biblical history, we think we know the Ninevites are the Assyrians. And not long after Jonah goes and, and saves the Ninevites and the Assyrians, that same nation goes and destroys northern Israel. It wipes them clean off the map. 
disperses them throughout the whole region. There's a great price to be paid for the grace of God going to the Ninevites. And Israel as a nation pays it. So when Jonah hears this call, he hears the great cost that it will cost his people. And when he hears that, he runs from it. He doesn't want his people, his nation, to pay that price. Now, how does that connect to us then? Well, I think we have to recognize that outreach, reaching out, offering the gospel of grace to people will come at a collective, kind of corporate cost. Primarily in the form of it will cost the church. It will cost the church. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that as we become a body committed to reaching out, that means that we will be a bigger church. Now, I know that many of you fear that or just don't like that because we, we love our small church. You love coming here and knowing every single person. That's great. And feeling like it's a family. And you feel, you wonder, well, Will it still feel like that? Will I still know everyone? Or will I lose something? Will I lose something as we reach out? All right. Uh, maybe you're concerned about the church changing. And you know what? If we are reaching out, the church will change. Because the church is the people. The church is not the building. The church is not our, our little mission statement. The church is the people. And if we're bringing new people into this body, it's going to change the church. And that means that people with different ideas, different expectations of what church should look like, maybe even different theologies that we need to learn to tolerate will be in the church. Because they're not wrong, they're different interpretations. Maybe all of those things will come together and the church will look different than we personally would like it to look. just because there's different people in it. All right, another cost, though. The hope would be that there would be new Christians, new baby believers in our midst. And as, as Casey can well testify, as I'm sure many of you can, infants, new babies are difficult. They're a lot of work. Um, and, and that's the reality spiritually as well, that new baby Christians are a lot of work. And that's not their fault. That's where they should be. That's right where they should be. But the thing is that, that that's hard. And we naturally like mature believers because they've had time to learn these things. And they've grown up and they're, they're easier. And so we recognize that having new believers in our midst is great. But it is work. And it is, there's a cost there. There's a collective cost to reaching out. And we have to settle in our hearts that we are willing to pay that price. Otherwise, we will not be a church that can do it. All right, so there's a collective cost, but there's also an individual cost to reaching out. And that's where I think most of you probably are. Probably most of you are probably in the place where you, you would be really excited to see the church grow. But your fears are not corporate. They're, they're individual. 
Now, Jonah doesn't have those fears because Jonah wasn't raised in an individualistic culture. You and I, we were raised in an individualistic culture. So we don't think normally about the collective. We think about ourselves and our own personal fears and insecurities. And that's why we're scared to reach out. Now, that could look a number of different ways. Maybe you feel like, like it's just going to suck up your time, your energy. You just don't feel like you can add another thing. Maybe you think that you're, you're scared to talk to people, that they could reject you. Maybe they could ask you a question that you don't know the answer to and make you look dumb. Maybe you may look like you, you don't actually know the Christian faith. Maybe they call you a hypocrite, that you represent the grace of God. Please, please, you're, you're so judgmental. We open ourselves up to all of these things when we reach out. There's an individual cost. It's a lot safer, kind of in our own territory, when we're not going out. We're safer as individuals. And so, when we think about these, these things, we need to be ready to bear the costs as a body and as individuals. Now, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an illusion that maybe if we do evangelism and reaching out right, there will be no cost. That if we just manage to like say the right words at the right time to the right person, then like magically there will be no conflict and they'll just kind of like whisk them right into heaven and we're good. Right, I have to recognize that, that maybe that happens, but that's not the pattern we see in scripture. Think about Paul, the great evangelist. When he reached out, what did his life turn into? It turned into a living mess. It was, it was terrible. He can, he can put on lists and lists and lists of all the terrible things that happened to him because he was reaching out. That's no normal pattern. And we see that pattern especially with Christ himself. That Jesus Christ is an evangelist. He reaches out and he pays dearly for it. So let's talk about the collective costs that Jesus had to pay. What was his collective cost, his corporate cost? What was his church? What was his church, his community? Anyone? Huh? The Trinity. The Trinity was his, was his community. Now, there was no better community in existence. There's perfect love and fellowship and communion between the three persons of the Godhead. It is a perfect relationship. And God didn't need anyone else. I think sometimes we get told that, oh, like God, God needed to, someone to love him or someone to love. Like, no, he had the Godhead. He had the three of them, they were loving each other. He didn't need to create. He didn't need to choose people for himself. <laughs> um, and yet, what did... What did the Son of God do? He, he came down. He cut himself off from that community. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he sacrificed an element of that community, of that fellowship, 
so that he could reach out. The perfect community. We also think of the, the individual costs that Jesus had to pay. The individual costs. That his whole life was paying individual costs. That he would have to take to himself a, a human body. And will have to carry that, that body with him for, for the rest of eternity. That he made himself under the law. He had to submit to the law that he himself made, that pointed to himself. He had to offer sacrifices when he was the true sacrifice. He had to live in the midst of a sinful world. He had to subject himself to the ridicule and oppression and, and lies and slander and mockery of the people he came to save. And as a cherry on top of that, the individual cost of him was, was his life. That he was crucified, that he might reach out to sinners with grace. All right, this is, this is sobering. It's the recognition that there is a great cost to reaching out. And there, there is no other option. It is a sacrifice to reach out. But, but there's another side of this coin, which takes us to our second point. There's another side of the coin. There's also a great cost to not reaching out. This is where Jonah is a great example. There is a cost to not reaching out. Think about what Jonah's life looked like when he decided to abandon this calling to go to the Ninevites. As we read the story, what happens? He's, he's cut off from God's presence. He is cut off from the land. He's cut off from being a prophet. He, he loses his, his identity. He abandons the very God that, that he identifies with. He is cast into a storm. He's rebuked by a bunch of pagans. That he, He's kind of shamed before them for his sin. He's cast into the sea. He's eaten by a giant fish. He's vomited up. He's then rebuked by God. He's beaten down by the wind. He's, he's punished and and instructed, all because he, he abandoned the mission of God. And that's where we, we have to recognize that there will be a cost to abandoning our mission. That there are consequences. That God is actually too gracious to let us sit in our sin. And he disciplines his children. And he will not just let us be a, a content happy little church that isn't doing what we're meant to be doing. That's a good thing because he, he loves us and he wants us to, to do the things that he has commanded partially for our own good. Now, how is that discipline going to look now? He's probably not going to send a storm. He's probably not going to flood your house so you have to run to your neighbor's house. Like, maybe he could do that, but what does this primarily look like? I think in, in our culture, it probably looks like losing all sense of purpose and calling. As we look at Jonah's life, Jonah, Jonah in abandoning his calling to reach his, the people of Nineveh, he cuts himself off from, from the whole purpose of his life. He's no longer a prophet. He's no longer an Israelite. He's no longer in the land. He's adrift in the sea. 
He's totally aimless, headed towards the farthest place away. And the thing is that that is, in a sense, the, the discipline of the, of the Lord. And so I would, I would ask us, do we ever feel directionless, aimless, purposeless? Have you ever asked yourself that question? It's like, am I just biding my time until Jesus comes back? Am I just biding my time? Like, what, what's the point of, of going through all this? I think that is the Lord disciplining us and showing us that they're losing our purpose. And we try to fill it up in all these ways. We try, maybe we can just enjoy ourselves. And we try to pursue pleasure and make our lives about that. Or maybe we just put our, our nose to the grind and we work really hard. Or maybe we just go about our normal everyday life um, and forget about that. Oh, I, don't, I don't really need this, this grand purpose. I'll just, I'll be okay. If we remember our series on Ecclesiastes, remember how that goes. That that well runs dry pretty quickly. That, that that isn't the purpose and the meaning that we are called to. Because we, we are spiritual people. And, and engrafted into us, in our DNA, this is the fact that, that we need to glorify God. That we are eternal beings and called to do eternal things. And as we see the world around us in, in turmoil and in sin, we know we should be in battle and should be doing more. That, we're, that there's more purpose here than we're mustering out of our lives. And that's where if we look at the, the command of the Christian life as a whole, so much of it has to connect with outreach. So much of our Christian lives kind of have an eye towards that. So we think of obedience. In part, we're obedient so that we might have a testimony. So when people look at our lives, they say, oh, this person really is different. And so the people who want to throw attacks at us would say like, yeah, but, but they are like a really good, nice person. Like there's, the things don't stick because of our obedience. All right, let's take some other things. Um, community. What is community supposed to be? We're supposed to be a loving community so that people know the love of Christ. They know the love that is between Christ and his people. That's why we want a really strong community in part. Uh, take marriage. <laughs> marriage isn't just for ourselves. It's a, a picture of Christ and the church. The relationship in our families. It's supposed to be Christ the Son's relationship to God the Father. It has an outward focus. And that our service here, when we sing worship, we are inviting the world to worship. We're leading all of the Lord's people and, and those who don't know God to worship him. That's why we have the time of greeting. That's why we have our potluck. So we show the hospitality to the people who don't know God. And when we lose that goal, when we lose that direction... We kind of are just going through the motions. When there's a lot more intentionality that should be behind it. We lose our direction, we lose our purpose, we lose our focus. But I think those are, last one, 
and this is, this is the big one, what do we lose? We are disconnected from the very heart of God. We are disconnected from the heart of God when we lose outreach. Because God puts Jonah through the ringer. He puts him through the ringer. This is tough. And why did he do it? It's because Jonah did not understand God. So look, look at uh, chapter 4. Uh, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The problem with Jonah is he knew that, but he didn't know it in his heart. He knew that about God, but he didn't love it. He didn't love the God of mercy and grace. And the fact that he hated outreach was a reflection that his heart was not, was not in sync with God's. It didn't line up with God's. It wasn't reflecting God's true nature. And that's the true... That's why, out, why failing to outreach is, is so costly. Because it doesn't reflect the heart of God. It doesn't reflect the heart of God. Because when we, when we fail to reach out, we end up speaking anyway. We end up speaking volumes about the nature of our God. And we start saying things and we communicate things that God would never want to communicate about himself. So what does it communicate when we, when we fail to reach out to people even though we, we proclaim to be Christians? It makes God out to be stingy or graceless, merciless, cold-hearted, exclusive, that God is, is uncaring or unwilling to reach out. That he is not relenting from disaster, but he, he's apathetic towards the state of people's souls. People are going to know God through us. That we are the ambassadors. We are the vessels. We are the images of God. And if we're communicating, we want to be communicating about the grace of God. And that's where I think we encounter two, two costs. So we talked about the cost earlier. There would be a cost to ourselves if we do reach out. A cost to our own names. A cost to our own uh, reputations, our own relationships. How we ourselves are viewed. But there's a second cost if we don't reach out. And that cost is to God's name. To God's reputation that God would actually not get the glory that is due to him. And that is the tragedy of what happens when we don't reach out. Is that we communicate about a God that, that is not true. Because we know that God is gracious. We know that God is gracious and merciful and loving and caring. We know that God is the one who relents from disaster, who is full of steadfast love. He's been that for us in Jesus Christ. That we, we manage to spew out amazing amounts of sin every single day and the cross absorbs it. And we find ourselves clean in the midst of it. 
God is abundantly gracious, abundantly loving. He's even gracious to us for our failure to reach out. That for how bad we are at this, he's very gracious to us and very kind and very loving. And even as Jonah totally fails to do this, he brings him through the ringer, but in a very loving way. He doesn't destroy him. He slowly instructs him and, and teaches him about his nature. We know the, the beauty of our God and the amazing grace of our God. And so we want to ask ourselves, are we communicating that in how we live our lives? Are we communicating that that is the heart of our God? I hope, I hope that we are. All right, now we're going to the, so that was, we, we've hit the low point. Now we're, the high point, the high point. All right. The hope is not just to avoid all of this downer stuff and like not be terrible sinners and oh, we, we've maligned the name of God. God calls us into this task of reaching out for our good and for the abundant reward of doing so. So now I want to talk about what are the, the rewards the amazing things we get to enjoy if we actually do reach out. First off, the honor of God. The honor of God. That he would look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now that's totally undeserved, but, but he, he says that. That he honors us when we honor him. And he takes pleasure in that. And so we have, to, we have to ask ourselves a really hard question of whose honor do we want? The honor of people or the honor of God? The honor of God is, is truly valuable because he is infinitely valuable. That when he commends us, it, it lasts, it sticks. We're not just people pleasing. That's a great blessing. That's something Jonah didn't get to take part in because he, he didn't want it. And he becomes this dishonorable prophet who never gets to hear God saying, like, well done. Because he, he wanted to be angry, wanted to be selfish. All right, next up. The next blessing would be joy. Joy. Now, there's two aspects to this joy. We get the joy of telling people the gospel. Now, why is that joyful? Because whether or not they come to believe it, when we get to tell people about the gospel, we are reminded of the gospel. We're reminded of the gospel of grace. And we can put ourselves in their shoes and remember when we used to not understand this. And we remind ourselves that, you know, I, I am a sinner just like them. And I am lost without Christ. And God opened my eyes. He showed me the value of this truth. He loved me and showed me his grace. That every chance we should get to share the gospel, we get to hear that again. I think of it sort of like, uh, for those of you who are married, attending a wedding. Attending a wedding. So when you go to someone else's wedding, you're reminded of your own. Of your own wedding, the joy of it. The beauty of it. You get to hear the, the covenantal vows once again. You're reminded of, of your, 
your marriage. And that's what we do when we share their faith. We're reminded of that joy that we, our first love is Christ. There is great joy in that, whether they come to faith or not. But then there's a, the even better joy of if they do come to know Christ, that we get to be witness to that. We get to see blind people able to see that people who were dead in their transgressions made alive in Christ. That people with, with stony, cold hearts are given ones of flesh. It's a spiritual new birth. We talk about the, the miracle of, of physical birth. This is the miracle of spiritual birth. And there is no greater joy in, in heaven or on earth that what makes heaven rejoice but to see people come to faith. That the angels rejoice. They're partying in heaven when this happens. And so if we want to be a joyful church, an exciting church, a church that, that can celebrate, outreach is the way to do it. That we rejoice that God truly is that gracious to see people saved. That's a great blessing and a great joy. And ultimately, that's, that's so powerful. It's a, we long for purpose. I know every generation wants to, wants to change the world and they want influence. And there is no greater influence than to, to change the eternal destination of a, of a soul. That the whole universe will be changed forever that someone will be alongside us in the new heavens and new earth because together with, with God's saving power, we witnessed and God used that and people were reborn. All right. These are good things. These are good things. But that's not the ultimate good thing. What is the most ultimate good thing? The great reward of outreach is that we honor and glorify our Lord. That people get to know God as the gracious God we know him to be. That the world, the world throws all kinds of slanderous things at our, our God and our Lord. When he is gracious and merciful and loving. And we want to proclaim that to the world. We want to proclaim that to people. That they would get to know that God. And that God would be honored in mercy that people would see the cross and see the value of it, the beauty of Jesus. That is our ultimate goal. And I think that's where, that's where we're going as a church. We want to be a church that is reaching, that is reaching out, recognizing that it will come at a cost, but that the cost of not doing so is, is too high a cost to pay. And because we want to take part in those those joyous things. We want to see the Lord honored in his grace and in his mercy. And so that's where together we are working for that goal. Now does that mean that, that you need to go be a, a personal evangelist? No, it's that, that you are part of our body, that that's what we're doing. And greeting people, doing the potluck, all of these things work together for that, that goal. And so, I would ask you, how can you connect to that mission? 
How can you bear that sacrifice so that you can reach out? And think, think what, do you trust that there would be joy in it? Joy in that sacrifice, the joy of honoring our God, knowing him better in mercy. And my hope would be, this is my hope. This is my, my scary hope, all right? That we would be a church that really isn't about ourselves. That we would ruin this church for ourselves. We would utterly wreck it because it's so full of people who are immature and struggling with grace and learning about Jesus for the first time and full of heresy. That would be our goal. It would be a messy business. But my hope would be that, that I would have to preach the message of Jesus' grace because there's people over here who are being legalistic and crazy on the one hand, and then there's other people who are being totally hedonistic and giving over to sin, that they need to hear the gospel every week. We want to be that kind of church. Now that church is going to require a lot of sacrifice from us. But the great reward will be that we will be able to be a church that, that says that we are doing the mission of God. And that when we go to heaven and stand before the throne, we, we can say, you know what? We, we fulfilled your mission. We, we did our best to fulfill that. And that will be the thing that is, and that is remembered for all eternity. That is the glorious thing that we, we made the name of the Lord in his mercy great.